You're listening to the sermon podcast by Southside Baptist Church in Florence, South Carolina. We exist to know God and to make Jesus known. For more up-to-date information, check us out at southsidenow.church. Good morning. Good to see you guys today. Good to be here with you again. I want you to turn with me, if you would, this morning to Luke chapter 2 and put your finger there and then turn over to John chapter 1 and hold your place there. If you're doing this on your phone, you're on your own. I have no idea how you would go about doing that. But uh, anyway, we're going to be in those two scriptures uh, in just a few minutes. How many of you have been out to Walmart or Target or to the mall this week doing some shopping? Any of you been, been, a few of you and been out there. Imagine with me that you were out shopping on Saturday morning, maybe picking up some last-minute stocking stuffers and some socks or maybe some cologne or some earrings for your niece or something, and you get hungry, it's around lunchtime, and so you decide to go down to the food court and go to Chick-fil-A and get one of those spicy chicken sandwiches and maybe one of those peppermint milkshakes they have this time of year. Those things are really good. And suddenly, the mall, the food court, explodes with music. And I'm not talking about somebody just humming jingle bells or whistling Silent Night or something, but an eruption of sound that stops you in your tracks. One minute you're enjoying your milkshake and the lady at the next table starts singing. The guy behind the counter joins in. Everything stops for a few moments. Shopping is interrupted. People stop eating, and the mall divides into two categories, those who are singing and those who are listening. Here, let me let you see it for yourself for just a moment.
Kip tells me the choir's going to do that here in the next couple of weeks. Isn't that something? Uh, but what happened in the Galleria Mall about 12 years ago when that was filmed was nothing compared to what happened in Bethlehem about 2,000 years ago. Here's how Luke describes it. Look at Luke chapter 2, beginning our reading at verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, here's the comparison to the video. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Just imagine what that would have been like for those shepherds. You know, the whole thing is I read, I I love reading through the Christmas story and all the different versions during uh, this time of year. And the thing that really impresses me about Luke's version is how normal it all sounds. Joseph, a carpenter from Nazareth, Mary, a peasant girl, go up to Bethlehem to pay their taxes. It doesn't tell us how they got there. Maybe Mary rode a donkey, maybe she walked, we don't really know. There's nothing special about them. The whole story just seems so ordinary. They're not royalty. It's not King Joseph and Queen Mary. They don't arrive in a limousine or even a camel caravan. There's no red carpet. There's no paparazzi taking pictures. They can't even get a room at the local day's inn. Mary ends up having her baby in a stable. Plain, ordinary Joseph with rough, calloused hands. Common, ordinary Mary with stretch marks. They're so commonplace, so average, so unextraordinary that they're pretty much ignored. Which is why I think we identify so with this story. In many ways, they're just like you and I. We too have heard the words, no room. We too have been left out or maybe excluded in some way. Sorry, no job for you in this company. No room in our exclusive club. No time for you in our busy schedule. No place for you in our school or our group or our sorority or our program or maybe even our church. No room. We felt left out. And Luke sort of comes at this from ground level. We see it from the story from the perspective of Mary and Joseph and ordinary people from Galilee or ordinary shepherds out watching their flocks at night. But then when you flip over to John's gospel in John chapter 1, we see it from a different angle. We're looking at it in John's gospel from the perspective of heaven. Uh, Look at John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Then skip down to verse 14. 
The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You ever noticed how much John 1 sounds like Genesis 1? The first words of Genesis are, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. John begins the same way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through Him all things were made. Now notice here that it doesn't say that Jesus, the Word, was like God, or that He had some of the characteristics of God, or that in some ways He resembled God. No, it says He was God. Or I like the way Paul puts it in Colossians. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. Now, I'm not sure that I can fully comprehend this with my puny brain, but but I believe it. God, the eternal Word, the Creator of the universe became a fetus in Mary's womb. Like any ordinary newborn, God traveled through the birth canal and endured the ordeal of birth. He was covered in blood and placenta. His umbilical cord had to be cut. He nursed at Mary's breast. The Word became flesh. God became a man. Remember what the angel told Joseph? He quoted the words of the prophet Isaiah, the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's the first point that I want us to focus on this morning. I want us to understand that no matter what your circumstance No matter what problems you may be facing this morning, no matter where you are, God is with you. Remember the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before ascending into heaven in Matthew 28? He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Shortly after the communists took over in China, All the missionaries were forced to leave, and the church that remained underwent terrible persecution. Letters going out from Chinese pastors were always intercepted and censored. And yet the Chinese Christians wanted to let their friends on the outside, their brothers and sisters, know that the church was still alive and well. One of the pastors devised a unique way of communicating that message. In his letters, he would make small talk. He would never say anything about the persecution. He was never critical of the communists. But the Chinese pastor would always close his letters the same way. He would sign it, Emmanuel, Pastor Cho. And they would always get through. Uh, And that one little word communicated volumes. What he was saying to the outside world is, God is with us. All is well. And so no matter what you may be facing this morning, no matter what you may be going through, know this, you're not alone. God is with you this morning, and He is with us. 
He's here to meet our need or to extend His grace or to help us through our trial. He is Emmanuel, God with us. But there's more here. Not only is He God with us this morning, but He longs to live in us. Have you ever thought about how Mary must have felt during those nine months of her pregnancy? I'm sure having another living being growing inside you must be amazing for any mother, but could you imagine carrying to term the Son of God? I love that song that Mark Lowry wrote a couple years ago that says, Mary, did you know? I, I just love the words of that. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is the Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. What an amazing thing for Mary to have God within her. And yet, you and I have the same opportunity this morning. Let me share a couple of scriptures with you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. Paul says, I pray that out of the glorious riches, out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that, get this part, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Or 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. Or Revelation 3.20, where Jesus makes this incredible offer. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Now you say, Pastor, how is this possible? How can I have Jesus in my life? And the answer is through the Holy Spirit. Not only did God leave heaven and enter the world in Bethlehem, but he's still here this morning, inside you and I. What an amazing thing that is. Just think about it for a moment. Wouldn't it be great to have Jesus with you every moment of every day? 24-7, whenever you needed advice, you didn't know how to handle something, what if Jesus were right there? Or if you needed his power to help you with some problem, all you had to do was say, Lord, I'm in trouble, and, and he'd be right there with you. What if temptation came your way and you had an inner resource, an inner power to resist that uh, temptation? Uh, what if you didn't have to memorize verses of Scripture and know a bunch of rules and thou shalt not? What if you had an inner guide that would sort of be an early warning device that would, that would help you to know you were about to do the wrong thing and could keep you from messing up. The truth is this morning, we do have that power. It's, he's called the Holy Spirit and He lives within us. And yet, unfortunately this morning, for many of us, His presence doesn't seem to be making much difference. Often we're no more spiritual or more patient or more loving or than our non-Christian neighbors who don't have the Holy Spirit living within them. And the question is why? That's kind of hard to understand when you really think about it. 
This is a poor illustration, but maybe it'll get the point uh, across. Let's suppose that the spirit of LeBron James lived inside of me this morning. (laughs) You know, if that were to happen, wouldn't it make my jump shot a little bit better? Wouldn't I be maybe just a little bit closer to being able to dunk the, the, the basketball? Uh, likewise, if God were dwelling inside me this morning, and He is, the Bible tells us that, then why doesn't that make more of a difference in my life? Here's what I think the problem is. If you're a believer this morning, the Holy Spirit is in your life. He's come to dwell in your heart. If you are born again this morning, you were born of the Spirit. You invited Jesus into your life, and He came in by way of the Spirit. I like to explain it this way. Think of your heart as a house or a home. When you invited the Holy Spirit in, I imagine you took Him into the living room, uh, gave Him your best chair. That's where we usually take guests, isn't it, to the room we keep tidy and and, uh, you know, everything's picked up in there. But I think the problem is we leave him there. And Jesus doesn't want to just stay in the parlor. He wants to get in the family room where we normally live. He wants to clean out that hall closet that, you know, where you keep all the junk. Or if you'll let him, he may even want to get in the basement and, you know, get down there and, and clean out some stuff and, and, and take care of some things. The problem is we won't allow him full access this morning. But when we do, when we allow him to fill us with his presence, amazing things happen. Just look at those disciples after Pentecost. Peter boldly preaches to the very crowd that crucified Jesus, that they were hiding in fear of just a few days earlier. He sees a lame beggar and he says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Or in Acts 4.8 where Peter's dragged before uh, the Sanhedrin and it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and he boldly and courageously proclaims that God has raised Jesus from the dead, And he says, there's no other name under heaven given to me by which we must be saved. Here's my point this morning. That same power is available to each of us. Emmanuel not only means that God is with us, it means that God dwells in us through the power of his Holy Spirit. But there's a third truth I want us to see this morning, and that is that God is for us. He's on our side. Go back with me for a moment to that message of the angels to the shepherds in Luke 2. Hear again the good news. Today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It is absolutely amazing to me that God went to all of this trouble for me. He left behind the splendors of heaven. He humbled himself to become a tiny, dependent baby lying in a manger. Eventually, he would go to an old rugged cross and die a horrendous death for a bunch of shepherds, for a nobody like Barry Lawson in Florence, South Carolina. He did that for me. He did that for you. The creator of the universe is for me. 
He cares about each one of us individually. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 8. Look at these verses. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Guess what? We're going to win. I don't care how bad it looks at the moment. Satan may be taking his best shot at you right now, but he can't win. Why? Because God is for us. Martin Luther was up against a powerful enemy during the Reformation. The Pope, the Catholic Church, did everything it could to silence this little German monk. They excommunicated him. They tried to force him to recant and to change his mind. They put a price on his head, a bounty on him. They tried to kill him. His friends had to hide him out in Wartburg Castle for, for, for months just to preserve his life. And it's during that time that Martin Luther wrote his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Listen to just the words of the second verse. He says, Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, Lord of hosts, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. He is going to win this morning. Emmanuel means that God is for us. He's on our side. He's with us. He dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. God is for us. He's on, uh, in our corner. He's on our side. But there's one more final thing I want us to see. God wants to demonstrate His love to the world through us. Turn back with me again to Matthew chapter 1. Remember Joseph's dilemma when he learns that Mary is pregnant and he knows he's not the father? He's considering divorcing her quietly, breaking off the engagement, when the angel appears to him. Look what it, the angel says in Luke 1, chapter 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now this name Jesus doesn't quite have the impact on us that I believe it would have had on Joseph. Jesus is the English version of the Hebrew Yeshua, which literally means, and Joseph would have known this, the God who saves, or God who saves. So the angel is saying, name your son, God saves. Every time you say his name, every time you call him for supper, every time you tell him to pick up his toys, you'll be reminded of the fact that God saves. Embedded in his name is the reason that Jesus came, to be our Savior. Jesus would later say of himself, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. As believers this morning, we have experienced that amazing gift we know the joy of having our sins forgiven. We have the assurance of eternal life. We know where we're going when this life ends. Why? Because of Jesus, the God who saves. But this good news 
is too important for us to keep to ourselves. We've been given the task of sharing it with the world. How is the world supposed to know that God saves? How will they ever know that Yeshua came unless we tell them? The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says, For we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We are His ambassadors. We are His representatives to a needy world. To put it another way, we are the modern-day incarnation of Jesus. God is seen. God is made visible this morning through us. You and I are the only Jesus that some people will ever see. So let me ask you, what kind of picture are they seeing this morning? When our neighbors, our co-workers, our relatives look at our lives, do they see Jesus? Are we drawing people to the Savior this morning? Now you say, Pastor, I, I know this is true. I, I know this is our mission But how do I accomplish that? How can I share the good news of Jesus with a needy world this morning? Well, I'm glad you asked (laughs) because that's how I want to close this morning. I've got some suggestions for you. Now, it's not limited to these. There are millions of ways to fulfill this mission, this task. But these are just a couple to kind of get you started this morning. How about this first one? Be kind to a forgotten neighbor. Now, this may take a little investigative work. Sometimes we all put up pretty good fronts. We we try to make everybody think we're having a holly jolly Christmas, that everything is okay. But there's someone you know who may be lonely or hurting this Christmas. Is there something you could do to cheer that person up? Is there some little act of kindness you could do that would bring some joy into their day? Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. If nothing else, there are tons of nursing homes where people need to be visited. Look for some way of showing kindness during this Christmas season. Secondly, be patient with a difficult relative. We've all got some. You're probably thinking about them right now, aren't you? They may be thinking about you as the difficult relative. I don't know. But but families can sometimes be tough. Things happen. Things get said that can never be taken back. Feelings can get hurt. Wounds can leave deep scars. I'm not naive enough to think that you can wave a magic wand and make all the hurt go away or erase all the years of pain in an instant. But why not make this the Christmas where you extend some grace. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Hold out the olive branch. If they make some cutting remark, just ignore it. If they brag about their cruise to the Bahamas, bite your tongue and act like you're really interested. Determine that they're going to see Jesus in you no matter what this Christmas. Who knows? Your changed attitude might be just the thing that thaws out that relationship and gives you the opportunity to share Jesus. And then finally, give an extravagant gift. Now, I don't necessarily mean expensive, though it may be costly. 
Maybe it'll involve a lot of time or energy or effort on your part and not just money. We remember the wise men this morning, not because of anything they said, but because of their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. We remember Mary Magdalene primarily because of her extravagant gift as she broke the alabaster vial and poured out the oil on Jesus as a preparation for his death. We remember Joseph of Arimathea because of his gift of a family tomb as a place to bury Jesus when they took him down from the cross. Turns out it was only a loan, but Joseph didn't know that when he gave it. I'm sure if you thought about it for a few minutes, there was a time in your life when someone did something that was so extraordinary, so unexpected, so over the top that it just blew you away. Why not make this the year that you do something like that for someone else? And when you think about it, isn't that what Jesus did? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We're here this morning. We have eternal life because of that indescribable gift. And now we have the opportunity to pass that gift on to someone else. We become a conduit for passing that gift on to a needy world. How is that supposed to happen? I don't know. But I have a hunch there's someone in your world this morning whose life might be forever changed by your kindness, your forgiveness, your generosity, your patience. You fill in the blank. Maybe that's where we should leave the message this morning. Let's just ask God to use us however he might want. Who knows what might happen? I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning and join me in prayer right where, where you're standing.